There's some really simple decisions you can make that you won't regret. And I would say that memorizing Psalm 23 has been one of those for me. I decided to learn it because it just tells me so much about God. It just brings my attention uh, from myself to him and then transforms what's going on for me as I focus on him and learn about him. I also chose to memorize it because it's one of those rare pieces of scripture that we actually do sing pretty much as is. And so I had a pretty good memory of it in my head already. And it's quite short. And so all of those things together made me think, I'm going I'm to learn this. And so I did. So I, would, I said it aloud again and again. And then I said one line like without looking and then checked to see if I'd said it right. And then I said two lines without looking and checked to see if I said And through and through and through until I could say it with my eyes closed. And that then meant that when I go to sleep at night in the dark, no phone, I can, I can just speak God's truth to myself. And I just, I just have, I mean, I've done this for years now, and I've found God really bless me as I do that. With this particular psalm, I say it at other times as well. I said it over my dad's coffin after we laid him in his grave. My wife and I say it to our children every night. Along with my family, I sung it at my uncle's funeral this Tuesday. And it is precious for many of us who follow Jesus because it speaks deeply to us about his love for us. And it gives us so many things to understand and appreciate about him. It talks about the comfort of his constant care. It really gently, kindly puts us in our place. We are like foolish, vulnerable sheep, it says, and yet not despised by God, but rather cherished. It speaks of the certainty of his presence, even on our worst days, even on the worst of days, and it gives us a future hope. And we find as we follow Jesus through years, even through decades, we keep reading this psalm, we keep saying, this, wow, this is still true. In fact, this is even more true. And this, the, 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 the reality of this truth has deepened and widened and broadened and lengthened as I've discovered more and more of his goodness. And so I would just love to commend it to you as something for you to memorize, to get into your head that it might fill your whole being with the truth and the love of God. And that's our hope with this preaching series, that it will just enable you to know more of the love of God and rejoice in that and be transformed by it. Now, the only danger, obviously, with a psalm as familiar and popular as this is for many of us, is that its words can just kind of glide over us. We just say it so often, we hear it so often, and we just say, yeah, yeah, I know know what that psalm's about. And we might, and we probably do, but there's more to it, almost certainly. And so that's why we're going through the psalm, just kind of line by line for this preaching series. It's why today I'm just going to look at one line, because I, I want you to see all of what it is saying, so that you can confidently, joyfully, truthfully say it to yourself again and again. And it's verse 3 in the translation we read was, he restores my soul. It's four words in English, it's just two in Hebrew, and all of the Christian hope is in this line. 
Other translations have it, he refreshes my soul or he renews my strength. So there's, there's no translation out there that makes that go from something that sounds really great to something you're like, oh, I don't know if I want that. Okay, it's all good. Whatever translation, is, this is good news. But if those phrases kind of make you think along the lines of, oh, God helps me feel a bit better, though that's kind of true, you're missing its ultimate message. God does do those things for us. And we'll see that later on. But they are part of a far greater restoration, renewal. And so what I'm going to do is I just want to look at some of the other places in God's word where these two words that make up this uh, phrase are found. And I think they'll give us just a, a deeper understanding of what's going on. And maybe if you, you've never heard this before, this is all new to you. I'm telling you, this is the best thing you're ever going to hear. And this is hope for you. And it's not just for those around you, it's for you. So let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for your word. And we're so grateful that your word tells us to expect your presence, even as we've just heard it in this very psalm. And so we ask now that we would be deeply aware of that. We'd be aware of it in new ways. For those who have never been aware of it before, today would be the start of that. For those of us who have walked with you uh, for months, maybe for years, maybe these are very familiar words. God, I pray just for a fresh revelation of your love by your Holy Spirit. Deeper awareness of what you've done for us, what you are doing for us. Help us, God. We, we just want to know you better and we want to know your love more. Amen. Amen. So two words, we'll take them in reverse order. First word, soul. Now we might think of soul as like the invisible uh, part of us that is in some way kind of separate uh, to our physical body. Uh, That won't entirely be wrong, but it's not really how the Old Testament writers think. They don't usually work in those kind of distinctions, very neat things, it's this and it's not that. So the, the Hebrew word that's translated here is nefesh, and that means our whole life and being. Uh, And it's first actually used of the creatures that God's made in the creation account in Genesis 1, where God says that he will create living creatures, nefesh, in the sea and on the earth. And then later, that same phrase is used to describe us, human beings, being made as well. And so it's then used loads of times uh, throughout the Old Testament, and it's often used to refer to a, a person or to people or to a person's life. So it isn't just that kind of inner thing. There is that sense of the, the, the inner world, but it's, it's not a distinction we want to push too far because that, we can sometimes get a bit limited on that. And actually, God wants to see that he's interested and caring about all of us. And he is. And when he gives us the greatest commandment, he says to his people, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There it is. And with all your might. And clearly, this is overlap of those words. We don't have to be like, oh, that must mean that, and therefore the next one must mean something really different. And that's, that's, again, it's not how the writers are working. It's a way of saying you shall love God with everything you've got and everything you are, but in much more memorable language than that. Jesus reiterated that this was the most important thing we could do. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it's that one. And he emphasized how vital, how literally vital, our souls are. Matthew 16, 26, he said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
Another time he told a parable about this. The land of a rich man, he said, produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure, Jesus said, for himself and is not rich towards God. We may spend so much of our time and our energy focused on our our immediate needs, um, our possessions, those that we have, those that we want to have, uh, just our our daily business. There are loads of demands that we create for ourselves and and that are created for us, and we can spend really all of our time just aware of that and attempting to fix it and, and, and focus on that. Jesus tells us that, What happens to our soul, our life, is is what is truly a matter of life and death. Although this present life and our present lives are important, uh, they aren't ultimate. They aren't the end of it. I often think about this when I'm I'm traveling uh, here on a Sunday morning. and, uh, And I look around and I see people doing many, many other things. And there are people who are like, well, you know, for the good of my body, I'm going to go for a run. And there are people saying, for the good of my friend or for myself, we're going to meet up and we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a coffee together. We're going to have brunch together. Or for the good of my kids, I'm going to take them to this uh, sporting thing or this developmental thing um, or whatever. And, and I see all of those things happening. And I understand those are all fine things. But I think, guys, you are missing the thing that is good for your soul right now, which is to come to the place where Jesus is celebrated and where he can offer you what you really need. And so when we understand this word soul, what God is trying to do is get our attention to what most matters. And it is our lives. The care of our souls, therefore, is hugely important. So when David says, my soul, he means, in a way, all of him. What does he say God does this all of him. Well, I use the word restores because that's what my translation says. The Hebrew word is shuv. And I said other translations were, use words like restore and refresh. Hey, do you know there are even more words beginning with re that this can be translated as as well. So there's clearly a recurring theme in there, recurring. A big part of it uh, is often used to return. It can be used to mean that. It can also be used to mean repent. The first Greek translation of this word um, was used to make, uh, was used, the Greek word they used was a word that meant literally turning around and repenting, as it were, to go away and to return from where you've gone and be like, no, this is wrong, I need to go this way instead. And that word is then used throughout the New Testament to mean to repent. So that's a little bit of technical steps. You're like, where has he gone? I'm not sure. So There's the Hebrew word, it's translated into Greek. That same Greek word is used throughout the New Testament. When you see people in the New Testament saying to other people, you need to repent, you need to turn to God, it's that word that goes all the way back to this word. And that's why an old Christian Aramaic translation of our verse simply puts it as, he brings me back. But 
what I want us to do is to, is to just to sit with this thought and, and, and see it and see how it's played out in the Old Testament and then into the New Testament in our lives. So I've kind of, you know, that's the punchline already. But I, I want us to spend time with it that it might really get to work in us, that the truth of it might really be absorbed by us. So interestingly, when Cameron uh, was mentioning Moses and how Moses was called to bring God's people back, that pattern is in this psalm. So when God's people are in a good place, when they are in a green and pleasant land, when they are beside still waters, they are in the promised land. That's what that means. When the psalm refers to having been brought through the valleys of the shadow of death, they were brought out of Egypt. From the, they had originally been in the promised land without really living there. Then they were brought to Egypt. And they were brought out of Egypt. They walked through a wilderness, through a place of death, and into the promised land. And so the whole story of why they are, when, when they are with God, he has brought them back from where they were. So that sense of return is just deeply in the pattern of this psalm. Then when it's used elsewhere, uh, God often uses it when he's using his prophets to speak to his people who had abandoned him, maybe because of their pride or maybe because of their insecurity. Uh, They just went after other gods, other things. Uh, They committed injustices. All these kind of things happened to God's people. And God saw that as abandoning him. And so he said to them, you need to return. This word, shuv. So Jeremiah 15, verse 9, God says, if you return to me, I will restore you. It's the same word both times. If you return to me, I will restore you. Malachi 3, verse 7, he says, from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. All of us, consciously or not, have turned away from God. He is our loving creator. He's the source of everything that we have, including all the goodness. And we, most of us, we, we like the idea of all the goodness. We're like, yes, keen on that. Less keen on owing it, or anything, in fact, to God. Much more likely to say, it just fell out that way, or hey, I did it myself. And so we go our own way and we reject God. As the prophet Isaiah put it, all we like sheep have gone astray. This is to bring deep trouble upon ourselves. Sometimes that plays itself out in our lives. We get ourselves into a state. We get ourselves into a situation that causes us to look at ourselves and look around and be like, what on earth have I done? How did I get here? I'm, in, I'm lost. I'm a mess. I'm in trouble. What on earth will I do? Sometimes we get so used to being like that that we don't see it for what it is. Now, that idea of people as wandering, willful sheep is picked up by yet another of the prophets, Ezekiel. And he rebukes Israel's leaders for not caring about their people as shepherds should care for their sheep. He says to them, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. That phrase again, the strayed you have not brought back, that brought back, it's that word again, shuv. 
So it could, we could have translated the, the strayed you have not restored, the strayed you have not returned. So what's God going to do about this? He says in Ezekiel 34, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Again, bring back the strayed. Yes, yeah, that same word again. And even in that, you may have just heard some, sounds like there's some similarities there with Psalm 23, because often in the Bible, an idea is planted and said, and then it recurs again and again. We understand more of it, the more it's repeated. And what Ezekiel is making clear is what David said as well, is that an essential part of God being his people's shepherd is that he will rescue them. He will bring them home. He isn't just going to kind of give them some instructions of how to return themselves. He isn't just going to sit there and wait. He is going to go and get them. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that because he planned that with the Father before eternity began. And so when he comes to the earth, where is he most often found? He's with people who everyone else considers to be sinners. Everyone else, those people have gone off. Why is he with them? Well, amongst the stories he famously tells, he says in Luke 15, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. She's saying, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. Later, he makes it even clearer. All of those Old Testament talkings about shepherds, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. All those things that God said he would do, Jesus says, I am here to do them. And that's theologically interesting. Okay, right, so he was saying that. Interesting, okay, interesting. Okay, yes, it is. But it is personally transformative. It is our hope. And so we are invited by God to see Jesus doing this. To see in our mind's eye a shepherd searching for a lost sheep. The foolish animal has wandered its own way and is now lost or trapped or wounded or paralyzed with fear and under threat. It is far from home. It is far from safety. And it is far from hope. There is no other hope for it. Not in itself, not from anyone else. It is entirely relying on the shepherd noticing that it has gone missing and caring enough to come after it. And the night closes in, making the lawless wilderness even more dangerous for both sheep and shepherd. And yet, 
into the darkness he goes. Nothing will stop him. Nothing can stop him because he is driven by his own love and care and joy. And so there's no external circumstance that can prevent him from doing what he has set his heart on doing, which is rescuing his sheep. Nowhere is too far. Nowhere is too dangerous. Nowhere is too disgusting or repulsive. This is not a shepherd who said, well, I'll go far, but I can't go in there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there again. No, he's not like that. He will go where the sheep is, wherever that sheep has gone. The good sheep will go there and he will find it. And when he does, he will do what shepherds have done for millennia with their lost sheep that have been scared for hours and paralyzed and they're too tired and they're too worried to walk home. He will lift it onto his shoulders. The same shoulders that carried the cross to Calvary. And he will bring that lost sheep home. Not grunting with annoyance. Not telling the sheep all the stupid things it's done and how this is the last time. Singing with joy instead. Because that is his heart towards his lost sheep. A Welsh version of the psalm from the 16th century puts it, Perverse and foolish, oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. I feel like usually when we help someone else, we fix something else, there's at least a bit of us that's a bit grudging, isn't there? There's a bit of us that's like, Okay, even the ones we love the most, like, I mean, really, like we've been here before. I was doing something else. And we can bring that sinful selfishness into our understanding of God and think, man, we must just really annoy him. We must really be kind of at the limit now of what he's prepared to do. He just must be, he'd never say he's sick of us. But there must be others that he's really preferring. And that is not the heart of God. That isn't the heart of God. He is clear. Jesus is clear. There's more rejoicing, he says. There's more rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who repents than over all the righteous ones. I mean, he loves the righteous ones. Heaven goes wild because it sees something of God's nature that is so unexpected and so incredible and so wonderful and so constant and permanently true. It is his joy to be the shepherd who rescues. And this rescue, this hope is true for anyone who calls out to him. Anyone. Who knows? I am lost. I have made a mess of this. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm stuck. I'm scared. I'm being attacked. It's all my own fault. But I just, would someone help? And this shepherd always says yes. To know your need is a great place to be. 
to know this good shepherd is the best place to be. Whether you've wandered far or near, whether you knew what you were doing or not, whether you're like, I've had enough of it for now, thank you, or you were just going through your own life and no one ever told you about God. You are lost. Now you can be found and brought home to God by the only person willing and able to do so, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes this possible by dying for your sins on the cross. Through his death, you receive his life. He brings you back. Even if you never knew you were far from home, he does this. I am the good shepherd, he says in John 10. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you can ask him to do that today. You can ask him to do that right now. And you can find out more of what that means by coming here again tomorrow evening for this uh, Alpha course that we're starting. It's, just, it's for people who are like, is this real? And if it's real, what does this mean? And you can ask questions to find out about that. And it's free and it's welcome. So we'd love you to come along. Even if you decide at like 7.29, as long as you're near enough to, you know, get here for 7.30 at that point, or even 7.45. Just come. Just come because... The shepherd wants to, he wants to rescue, he wants to bring you home. And you know you need it. So this is the full extent of his love for us, of his care for us, that we are in a moment and forever restored to him, restored to God. And we're profoundly changed when that happens. But even after that, we can still be guilty of wandering away from him. And things that aren't our fault also can happen to us and damage us. And we require yet more care and attention. He's done this incredible thing. We're like, I can't ask any more of him than that. And yet, oh no, I'm in trouble again. Oh no, I've made a mistake again. Oh no, this thing has happened. I don't know what on earth to do about it. Daily, we need help. He's no part-time shepherd. It wasn't a one-off event. It wasn't just a moment of rescue that he has dealings with us. He brought us back that he might always care for us, that he might always look after us. And that ultimate return and restoration of our souls is the pattern of his care for us that is then expressed in countless other ways throughout our lives. Him bringing us home and making us actually new creations actually doesn't yet stop us also being frail or even foolish or even stupid. And he is so full of love for us and he delights to care for us. And so he will do this again and again and again that we might put our trust in no other. That we might say, who is my only hope? Who is the only one who has restored my soul and will restore my soul again? Well, sometimes it's, obviously sometimes it's Jesus, but sometimes it's this, or sometimes it's them, or sometimes it's that. And God's saying, no, no other, 
No other but me. You need to come to me again and again and again, and I will do this. I may use others and other things, but it's me who's doing this for you because I am your good shepherd. I am the one who restores your soul. So, so if you are aware that God has done this for you already, I, I, did, I called out to him and he did bring me home and yet I find my soul today, whatever it, I find it is, it is in need of restoration. That's all right. My soul feels that. I feel that. I, just, I feel like, God, I need you to... I need you to be at work in my life more. I need you to do some things, some more changes. Is that okay? Of course it is. He says, of course it is. Because I love you and I love doing this for you. How, how may he do this? Well, there's loads of ways, but I just want to highlight a couple of them for you. In Psalm 19, David says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Same phrase, same two words. So God's word has power in it that restores us, that refreshes us, that renews us. As we read God's word, as we hear it, as we meditate on it, as we read about it, as we listen to it being taught, hopefully, as we discuss it with others, as we sing it, it Because it isn't something separate from God, it is him with us, him speaking to us. It has transformative power for us. It has soul-restoring power. That's why we encourage you to to make reading the Bible a habit that is in your life, because there's like soul food for you right there. That's why we created reading God's word together, and we know that, it, that sometimes you can read it and be like, this is doing my soul good right now. This is incredible. Wow, I'm so glad I'm reading it. And other times you're like, I assume this is doing me good. And I know that it's like that sometimes. And there's a kind of place in between those two things, which is that it's hard to understand what's going on, but if we only knew a bit more, we'd get it more. Well, that's why we teach on a Sunday. It's why we've created basically like this massive free online library of introductions to every book of the Bible. So wherever you are and wherever you're reading, we've got, there's help for you on our website. That's the thing you can do, but it is a means by which God will restore your soul. That's a positive thing. Here's a negative thing to avoid. 1 Peter 2, 11 talks about sin. It talks about the stuff that we go after that isn't what God wants for us. It talks about when we uh, still go against God's will. And it says that kind of thing wages war against your soul. And I just want to humbly suggest there's enough things outside of yourself waging war on your soul. You don't need to add to that yourself. Like, Why is my soul in this state? It may well be because you are doing things that are waging war on your soul. We're also told that the good shepherd gives us other shepherds to help care for our souls. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So those who are leaders in the church, and 
especially those of us who are elders, should do your soul good. And God's going to ask us how we did on that. Through their direct care of you, through ensuring you are cared for, because there's a lot of you and only a few of us, that the compassion and care of the chief shepherd can be experienced personally through their example as fellow sheep in need of care and as those who are learning more and more to hear and obey the good shepherd's voice. That should help and do you good as well. And through the teaching that they bring so that you know and delight in God and his goodness and you know and flee evil and that which will wage war against your soul. No shepherds should within this community keep out that which is damaging and bring us to that which does us good. God uses imperfect people to do that, but we should be doing that for you. And one other thing, if you just want to dig in this a bit more in terms of your own personal walk with God, um, there's a book I read many years ago called Sacred Pathways by a guy called Gary Thomas, and his argument is that there are many paths, he defines nine, which Christians can walk to bring them closer to Jesus. And I will add, have their souls, a sense of their souls being restored and refreshed and renewed. And he's saying basically... Some of you, you know, it's, it's going outside and, and just rejoicing in God whilst you're in his creation. And others, it's in the world of the mind and it's in reading and studying and thinking. And others, again, it's in, it's in action and maybe sharing compassion uh, or, or even uh, fighting against injustice. And he said there's multiple ways in which Christians who love God's word and are led by his spirit will particularly experience soul restoration. And Obviously, because the book's been around a while, people have put various summaries of it online, and I'll link a few of those um, for you on our, on our website as well. And, and if you're just feeling like, man, the things I keep doing, they just feel a bit, I don't know, either dry or I, I need a change, or there's, I just sense there's more and I haven't yet got hold of what that is, this could be a helpful way in uh, to that for you. It may just transform the things that you're already doing. So you might be like, I really struggle to read my Bible. Maybe you just need to take it outside. Or you need to say it out loud or with music um, or something like that. Or it's, there's other things that God's got for you as well. But he is committed to the restoration of your soul. He wants and loves healing you and bringing you to himself and then closer to, you, to himself. And so I'm just going to finish by just kind of going through Psalm 23 one more time, very quickly. And just now that we've seen what this phrase ultimately means, as well as what it can mean for us on an ongoing basis, I just want you to see how the whole of this psalm is about God restoring our soul. It's the whole thing is the same pattern of gently, caringly, lovingly bringing us back and holding us close and yeah, and helping us in his provision of what we need, in his constant kindness in how he treats us, in his leading of us to good things and through hard things, in his patiently restoring us to himself through forgiveness again and again, in his presence and protection at even the darkest times, in his lavish generosity, which includes even giving us his Holy Spirit, in his unwavering commitment to surround us with his goodness and mercy according to his steadfast love and not according to what we deserve. 
And then his priceless promise of an eternal future with him. Every single one of those things is part of him restoring our souls. And so as we experience them, and as we celebrate them, and as we wait in hope for them to be fulfilled, the reading of this psalm is not every time like, wow, yes, that is exactly how I feel like what just happened is. Sometimes it is a prayer of hope. Sometimes it's a prayer of trust. Sometimes it's, it's even a, Lord, it doesn't really seem like this is really happening. But it is, we say it in faith that this is what God is doing. And the more we do that, I believe, honestly, the more we see him doing it. So I'd love us to, as we kind of, kind of come into it, I'd love for us to, to say it aloud together. And we're, we're saying it to ourselves, but we're also saying it to those around us. It's one of the great things about reading scripture together. You are proclaiming it to yourself, uh, to everyone else here, and actually to the whole world and even the things that we don't see. So uh, if you're able to stand and you, you believe in this shepherd, you love this shepherd, I just want to encourage us to do this together and then we'll, we'll see what God does. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let's wait a moment. Sorry, let's wait a moment. Just, Holy Spirit, just right now, would you just come with your wonderful, convicting, wonderful, assuring power? And just, would you just fall on us? We've just declared that truth afresh. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. So just. Just welcome him. Just thank him. Just let him stir up a a greater awareness in you of his love, a greater thankfulness in you for his love, a greater appreciation of the depth and the breadth and the width and the height. Come, Holy Spirit, right now upon us. Come, Lord. Come, Lord God. Just fall on us right now. Thank you, Lord. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, God. Why don't you just start to thank him? Just say thank you. Thank you. That is true. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you will just be you're struggling to believe it. It's, they may even be physical or mental reasons why you're struggling to believe it. God just wants to assure you he's still holding you. It's still true. And the rest of us, we can just say amen to this. This is true. This is what he is doing. 
This is what he has done. This is what he will do because this is what he's like and he doesn't change. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You are the good shepherd. You're the good shepherd. Friends, he's your good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Oh, Lord. Okay, I just want to return to banishing that thing that you think he's doing this grudgingly, he's doing this bitterly, he's doing this just with anything that is how we act towards others. He's doing this with his great love and his great joy. It's for his sake that he might be known as the shepherd who never loses a sleep, a sheep, who never loses a sheep and who rejoices to bring back every single one of them. Lord, we have to say we don't fully understand that because we're not like that. But we believe, Holy Spirit, as you keep filling us again and again, as you pour out the love of God upon us, We'll get it more. Help us, Holy Spirit. You anoint my head with oil. That is a symbol of the Spirit being given graciously, generously, limitlessly. So now, please, we pray, fill us. Fill us afresh, Lord. Fill us afresh with your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.